Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a podcast series presented each year by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, the Gotham Center's director. And this year, because COVID-19 robbed us of the many spaces normally open to the public each fall by this wonderful event, we decided on something a little different. Because we're all stuck at home instead of traipsing around this city we love, this season of Sights and Sounds focuses on locations that can't be visited anyway. Places that are long gone, that were nonetheless of great importance to New York's history. We're calling it Lost NYC. In this episode, Russell Shorto talks about Fort Amsterdam, the little redoubt at the southernmost tip of Manhattan in the 1600s, which served as the military garrison and headquarters for the Dutch settlement of New Amsterdam. The British used it under different names as the protection for their colony too, New York. But after taking fire in the American Revolution, it was demolished. The site is now occupied by the Alexander Hamilton U.S. Custom House, which houses the National Museum of the American Indian in Battery Park. Using the fort as his starting point, Shorto, author of the national bestseller, The Island at the Center of the World, takes us on an imaginary walk through New Amsterdam, discussing, among other things, the myth about the $24 sale of Manhattan, the real goal of the defensive perimeter at Wall Street, and more generally, the ways in which the Dutch colony laid the foundation for New York City's distinct character. To hear the rest of the series, exploring New York City's most important historical sites and organizations, visit us at gothamcenter.org or find us wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. My name is Russell Shorto. I am the author of the book, The Island at the Center of the World. I have many times given people walking tours of what was New Amsterdam, which is inside the city of New York. And New Amsterdam was the capital of the Dutch colony of New Netherland, which extended much farther than a lot of people think. It covered all or parts of five future states, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, parts of Pennsylvania and Delaware. But its hub, of course, was New Amsterdam at the southern tip of Manhattan Island. So I want to start by having you envision that we are not actually in New Amsterdam, but below it. We are at the tip of the island at Battery Park. Battery Park was, is all landfill. So I think it's a good orientation point because when we're here, we are looking out into the geography that is something like what those early settlers saw. We're looking into the water. And for the Dutch in the 17th century, as they created their, their global empire, it was all about water because water was, uh, rivers were the highways. That's how you got around. So if we're at the tip of Battery Park, we're looking pretty much straight across to Governor's Island, which the Dutch called Nut Island. Apparently there were a lot of nut trees on it. To our left is the East River and the shore of Brooklyn, or Brooklyn, which was named after a Dutch city. And to our right, uh, well, we can see a little bit to the right, the island that the Statue of Liberty is now on, which they found useful as a base for collecting oysters. And the shore of what they called Pavonia, which is now New Jersey, and the Hudson River flowing up to our right past the island. And the great thing about standing here is you see the beginning. Henry Hudson, who was not Dutch, he was English, and he was tasked by the Dutch East India Company, not with founding a colony, but with trying to find a short route to Asia, to the riches of Asia. So he thought that you could cut through North America. And everybody thought at that time that North America was, was much thinner than it is. 
And he thought that instead of getting to, say, Ohio or something like that, he would reach the Sea of Japan and he would have all of the riches of Asia at his, uh, in front of him. So he charts the river, he goes up the river that later bore his name, goes up higher than Albany, north, uh, north of Albany, realizes that in fact this is a river and not a channel, turns around and goes back. But all this territory that he charted, he did for the Dutch, so they claimed it. And then in the early 1600s, they finally began to make good on that claim by founding a colony. They started to send settlers. Originally, the aforementioned Nut Island, Governor's Island, was going to be their capital. Then they realized it's not big enough. It's not a good base. So they moved across to Lower Manhattan. Now, if we move from Battery Park, if we cross Battery Park, come to the other end of it, the, the imposing squat building that we are now in front of, the old customs house, is very convenient for the purposes of envisioning New Amsterdam because that is almost the same size as and sits almost exactly on the footprint of Fort Amsterdam. So we're there at, if we're standing at Bowling Green, this little strip of land just astride the customs house, we're looking into the fort. The fort was, and it, it was a, a very humble structure. The walls were earthen. The Dutch at the time did not pen their animals in. They penned them out. So they were allowed, to, there were always, people always complained about animals roaming around the city. And in particular, the fort, pigs would periodically root into the walls of the fort and a section would come down and they'd have to build it up. So earthen walls inside the fort is the jail, the barracks of the soldiers, the church, and the home of the director of the colony. And the first several directors had their home in there. And then the last director, Peter Stuyvesant, who is married and having children, he decides, you know, being in there with all the soldiers isn't so great. So he has a he moves to a house right outside the fort at the corner of Pearl Street and Whitehall. Since we're standing here in Bowling Green, maybe this is an appropriate place to talk about possibly the most momentous, most infamous event associated with New Amsterdam, and that's the so-called purchase of the island of Manhattan for supposedly $24. I could talk forever about this, trying to unpack that, what that meant and what it wasn't. The reason I'm talking about it here is this in front of the fort is probably where that event happened. The Wakaskek Indians, a group of the Muncie, are most associated with the island of Manhattan. And it was probably from them that this transaction took place. And the so-called Wakaskek Trail runs up the length of the island and runs back down. And this is the base of it. And so that place would have been the central place of importance for them and, and as well for the Dutch. What happened with this transaction? The big misapprehension I think that people have is that they think the Dutch represented this classic European mindset when it came to things like real estate, and that the Native Americans had a totally different understanding. The Dutch knew what the Indians' understanding of land was. They had a sense of it. They did not think that the Indians thought of it as a sort of transaction, a property transfer. They knew that for the Indians, what they were entering into was something more of a defensive alliance, which said, we'll allow you to live here, you'll allow us to live here, 
if you're attacked, we'll help out. And if we're attacked, you'll help us. And as a token of this agreement, the Dutch provided 60 guilders worth of goods, things like kettles and knives and stuff like that. So that is the basis of what later became, you know, thought of as the the greatest swindle in, in history, that kind of thing. So that would have happened right here. Now, let's start walking north. We're going to walk up the Wakaskic Trail, which the Dutch very quickly called the Heerweg. The Dutch, wherever they went in the world, they tended to follow the course, follow the traditions of the locals. So the Indians had this trail as their central trail up Manhattan Island. The Dutch did the same. They called it the Gentleman's Way. Under the English, of course, it became Broadway. And it went right through New Amsterdam. It continued north. It continued up the east side of the island. And then in the Lower East Side, it becomes the Borderai Road, which then gets corrupted to the Bowery. It continues up the east side and then crosses west at Central Park and reconnects with what is afterwards Broadway. And then continues uh, when you get on the mainland, it continues as Route 9. So we follow it. If we're on foot, it's probably, depending on how fast you walk, six or seven minutes until you get to, on your left, Trinity Church. And on the right, we're going to make this right turn onto Wall Street. And suddenly, after six or seven minutes, we're at the northern end. We've gone from the southern to the northern tip of New Amsterdam. The Wall Street was so named in the English period because the Dutch built a wall there, a defensive perimeter. It was actually more like a fence. It was a 12-foot high wooden planks. It was built in 1653 after the Dutch got a municipal charter. The the residents were given a municipal charter uh, for their city of New Amsterdam, which, if you think about it, is a remarkable thing. All Dutch cities that had these charters were in the Netherlands, Amsterdam and Rotterdam and Utrecht and The Hague. And then here's this one on this wilderness island in North America. So they get a municipal charter that gives them the right to have a city council. One of the city council's first decisions is to conduct a census of the population of New Amsterdam. They draw up a plan, a copy of which still exists. It's called the Costello Plan. From that, we know that there were, I think, 252 houses in New Amsterdam. We know who lived in them, who owned them. And they, the city council built this wall going down Wall Street. And the wall was not built to try to keep Indians out, as is sometimes thought it was built to keep the English out. And of course, it failed. So let's continue down Wall Street. And we come to Pearl, Pearl Street. And that is now the eastern extent of New Amsterdam. We're not on the water because, again, the the blocks, the two or three blocks east of here is all landfill. But in the Dutch period, this was the shoreline, hence the name Pearl Street. So if we turn and head south again, we are now, what we're doing is walking the perimeter of New Amsterdam. So we go down Pearl until we come to County Slip as the cross street. This is an important spot in the life of the city and the life of the colony because we're standing in front of a a big office building that was uh, built in the 60s. But if you look down on the pavement, you see outlined on the pavement these gray pavers which mark the perimeter of what was originally the city tavern. 
county slip was a slip from the East River, ships would anchor in the East River and people would row ashore and they would, that's where they would first come into New Amsterdam. And right in front of them then was the city tavern. The first thing you probably wanted to do was go have something to drink and have a meal. After the city was granted this charter, they needed a city hall, a place for the city council to sit. And this, they decided, was the most logical place. So the city tavern after 1653 becomes city hall. So where you're standing now is New York City's first city hall. If we continue south on Pearl to the other end of this same block, to the corner of Pearl and Broad Street, we can begin to get a little sense of the activity of the machinations that were afoot that led to the city getting this charter. First of all, just for orientation, we're, when we're on this corner, if you look right across Pearl Street, you're standing in front of Francis Tavern, which is famous historically of a later period as the place where George Washington said his farewell to his officers after the American Revolution. At our time period, that's underwater. That side of the street is basically the East River lapping the, the shoreline. On this side, on the west side of Pearl, there are three houses, and we know from the Costello plan, three houses side by side there. Two of them were the homes of two people who were sort of, I guess they were leaders of a political opposition party. And the one in between was the home of a man named Cornelis von Tienhoven, who was Peter Stuyvesant's right-hand man. To me, the story, the interesting story at the heart of the life of the Dutch colony was a struggle between the West India Company, which ran the colony, and the people who came to live there. The West India Company was trying to do what the East India Company did in Asia, and that is you, you, you build a, an outpost, which is a fort, and it's a trading post, and depending on how things are going, you're, you're either fighting with the locals or you're trading with the locals, and then you're funneling all the goods home. Things didn't quite work out that way in this colony. This mix of residents who inhabited the colony weren't content to be simply serfs working on behalf of this multinational corporation. They wanted the full blanket of rights as citizens of the Dutch Republic. So they began this kind of opposition movement and two of these men and another man named Adrian Vanderdonk led this opposition and that struggle occupied much of the life of the colony, and it culminated with the government granting this charter to the city. So when that happened, that's when the, you get the city council, that's when, more importantly, that's when you get the historically distinguishing features of the Netherlands imprinted into the foundation of New Netherland. And then once the English take over, they remain as part of the foundation of New York City. And I think there are two things. The Dutch pioneered this concept of tolerance, of religious toleration, uh, which was codified in their law. And this is a time when in Europe, intolerance was official policy. In England, in France, in Spain, it was just common sense. If you were going to be strong as a society, that meant everybody had to be on the same page, in, 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 especially with regard to religion. The Dutch uh, developed this tolerance as kind of a counterintuitive strength. They found strength in diversity, and that then got imposed on the foundation of Manhattan. 
The other thing was the, the Dutch at the same time developed the rudiments of capitalism, a kind of proto-capitalism. They invented the concept of shares of stock and of a, st a stock exchange. They developed very sophisticated means of, of trading. And that too was brought to Manhattan. So if we now, now we're at Broad and Pearl, so let's take one more turn right through the heart of the city and go up Broad Street. Again, it's a five or six minute walk. Broad Street is so called because, you know, being Dutch, they had to have a canal. There were paths on both sides. So as a result of that, later the canal gets paved over and this then becomes the broadest street in the metropolis. And uh, if we continue up Broad then, it eventually, it makes a little uh, bend and then connects once again with Wall Street. And we're, we're there, we've gone right through the middle of New Amsterdam. To one side of us is the New York Stock Exchange. Right in front of us is Federal Hall, where George Washington was inaugurated and where the American experiment begins in earnest. But all of that, those two things, the Stock Exchange and the beginnings of the American political system, both have origins, have roots in what the Dutch brought in this city of New Amsterdam that we have just traversed. Thank you all very much for being with me. I've enjoyed spending a little time with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of the series, available wherever you get podcasts. And visit us at GothamCenter.org to learn more about all of our programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. Post-production for this season was provided by Garrett Tiedemann for Citizen Racecar. Special thanks to Dina Ecker and Jessica George for their help in the making of this episode. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History at the Graduate Center, City University of New York. Be safe, everyone.